Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling Podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pamela Rickia, and this is episode number 205 of the podcast. It's the 4th of December, 2019, as I record this intro. And this week, I have a really fun conversation with Lucas Land. Lucas is an unschooling dad with three kids, and we dive into de-schooling, living in another country, trusting our kids, and lots more. He also recently started a podcast, We Don't Talk About That, with Lucas Land. I recorded an episode with him as well, and I really enjoyed chatting about the challenges of talking about unconventional choices like unschooling. I'll let you know when that episode is released. As a personal update, I'm mostly getting back into the routine of things around here after our vacation. I'm loving up the doggies, lots of grocery shopping, and remembering to walk out the door a few minutes earlier for things because I need to clean snow off the car, things like that. And I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. And a big welcome to new patron, Stephanie Casson. Hi, Stephanie. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your generous support not only lets me know that you guys enjoy the show and want it to continue, it allows me to spend time creating episodes every week and to keep the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring and schooling. And now let's dive into my conversation with Lucas. Welcome. I'm Pamela Riccia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Lucas Land. Hi, Lucas. Hi, glad to be here. Oh, yay. I'm really excited to have you here as well. Just to let people know, I recently connected with Lucas when he invited me to be a guest on his new podcast. I had a great time chatting with him, so I thought it would be wonderful to have him on to share his family's unschooling experiences up to this point anyway. And I am very happy he agreed. So to get us started, Lucas, can you share a bit with us about you and your family? Yeah. Uh, So we currently live in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Um, I'm working with Mennonite. We are both working with me and my wife working with Mennonite Central Committee uh, here. Uh, This is our second time actually working in in Bolivia. And we have three kids. Um, Our oldest, Asher, is 13. Uh, Lydia is 11. (laughs) And Dorothy, the youngest, is six. Uh, so, uh, one of the big, I'll probably talk more about this, but right now they go to a school here in Bolivia because, uh, homeschooling in general is not recognized as a legal, uh, form of, of education. There are some groups that are advocating for homeschooling here, but because of being foreigners and working with an international organization, we kind of have to follow, more closely the the laws um and so that's a whole other kind of thing unschooling in school is kind of a weird weird dynamic but yeah so that's that's us um we uh what else i'm not sure what else to say about us we enjoy role-playing games and board games all the kids kind of like that stuff of course like a lot of kids they're into youtube and video games and um all that kind of stuff. We've been happy that our, our internet is good enough that, uh, especially our oldest Asher, he plays a lot of online games and has a kind of a group of friends that he connects with, um, through gaming and he's been able to keep that up, uh, living here. So, so that's been good. Good too. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's a great bonus, but you know, uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to, especially when you're traveling to new places, right. To be able to, um, continue to do the things that, that you really enjoy is, is I imagine a really helpful part of the transition, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
uh, yeah, since we first got here, he already had a group that he knew from some from Texas where we're from, uh, but also from, um, he had a friend from somewhere in Europe and another that is also an expat living in Argentina. Um, so he's kind of connecting with people all over, all over the place. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. So how did you guys originally discover unschooling? And what did your family's transition into that unschooling lifestyle look like? Yeah, so we we had kids, uh, our two oldest, while I was um, studying theology in seminary. And we didn't really discuss schooling too much in the beginning. Uh, but after seminary, we decided to move to this farm outside of Waco, Texas, where we are from. Uh, And the farm teaches sustainable agriculture and international development. And so I was an intern there. And so we moved, we sold our house. We moved with our two little kids to this farm. It's kind of with a bunch of Christian hippies. It's kind of a crazy (laughs) place. Uh, It kind of collects all sorts of, fun, fun uh, weirdos that are now our friends. Um, But part of that, uh, they started, they were, let's see, the kids were uh, around 18 months and two, three years. Um, So they turned two and four while we were living on the farm. And so then we began to start thinking like, oh, we need what are we going to do with schooling? Uh, my wife had been an elementary music teacher for many years. So she'd been in, in the school system uh, working, but she also was in a, you know, a music teacher is kind of in this position where you don't have all the testing pressures. And so she enjoyed it a lot, uh, but also saw a lot of the, the things that kids had to go through and deal with and um, was interested in, in homeschooling. And so we started kind of talking about it, uh, Mostly she was doing the, a lot of times she seems to do all the research and then kind of drags me along the way yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of different things. Um, and I think someone gave her the book, De-Schooling Our Lives, to read. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of an introduction to the, some of those ideas. And we also knew a couple of people that came through the farm while we were there who had been unschooled. So they were young adults in their 20s. Um, who had gone through unschooling. And so we actually invited them over and said, okay, tell us about what it was like. And um, I remember one of them saying, my, my mom was so against um, public education. I, I really wanted to put together like a, a notebook of my projects or my work, you know, kind of showing, showing it off or whatever. And she said, no, absolutely not. Uh, that's what they would want you to do in school. And so you, you can't do anything that's anything like school. Uh, and she, she kind of lamented that her, her mom wasn't a little bit more flexible with the things that she was wanting to do. Yeah. Even if it was a little schoolish. Um, but it was interesting for us to hear from people who had been through it. And I think that was all, all along the way, that's been super helpful uh, because it is kind of feels very out there at first and very radical and you're not sure. I, I was the one who had all, all the questions initially. I was asking the questions that now I'm used to people asking about, well, how, you know, what if they need to learn algebra and calculus or what if, uh, you know, how are they going to learn certain things or how are they going to get into college? All those questions. I was the one with a lot of those questions. Uh, and, and my wife, Sarah was, was the one kind of explaining, well, you know, I'm reading and listening and and learning a lot of this stuff. And so I was a lot slower at first to sort of (laughs) get on board. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) that's normal though, because typically one parent um, is, is more interested at first, right? And starts doing the research and, Mm -hmm. and starts coming up with the ideas and, and starts questioning the things so, you know, and then it starts coming up in conversation, right? And then, then you start having conversations about the questions that the other parent or partner or whomever, you know, has along the way. So yeah. it's, it, it is, I, I'd say typical, but I, you know, because mm-hmm. that, that makes sense in our lives when you think about any interest, right? That's often the way it goes or else you've met 
somebody else through an interest, right? That you already share, mm-hmm. et cetera. So yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it makes a lot of sense that it goes that way. So speaking of all those questions, what so far has been the most challenging aspect for you of moving to unschooling? What did you kind of find the most I, difficult? Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, um, the, the thing that was most difficult was probably the de-schooling process for myself. Yeah. So trying to unlearn bad habits or when things would come up, realize I'm kind of coming at it from assumptions that I've had before or um, one, one thing that was really um, kind of formative for us, I, I think as parents um, was when we moved to Bolivia the first time um, our kids were going through culture shock and we were relatively new parents. And I felt like we were still figuring out this whole parenting thing. And I remember our oldest Asher having a really hard time with his emotions and dealing with all the changes. I can look back and see that that's what was happening, but he would get very upset and angry. He wore glasses um, when he was really young. And so he would throw his glasses and that set me off and was just like, ah, you can't do that. You know? And so I didn't know how to deal with it or how to help him. And I'm very thankful that, um, our organization here, Mennonite central committee has a library for the workers Uh, with a lot of books in English. And one of those books uh, is one called Respectful Parents, Respectful Kids, which is based on the work of uh, Marshall Rosenberg, who created this framework called Nonviolent Communication. And that, I feel like, connected for me up with uh, unschooling a lot of the the same themes and ideas of of listening, paying attention, noticing, trying to see the behaviors behind or the needs behind the behaviors. Um, Some of those, those ideas um, were super helpful for me beginning to de-school, beginning to realize other ways to parent and interact with my kids. Um, And so that's been a long journey and continues, you know, <laughs> learning how to uh, continue doing better and continue uh, connecting with them um, and, and learning more about that. So it, for me, I feel like that's been the most work is my own work. Um, I could, I could definitely tell lots of stories about my kids and things that were frustrating or things that I, uh, but when I look back at it, I, I really do think my reactions or things that were hard were most often more hard, more difficult because of me less than my kids. Right. That is such a great point, you know, and I think that's something so many of us realize after, you know, even a few weeks, a few months into it mm-hmm. is that yeah. often, so often when you first get started, you have no idea the journey or the work that you're going to be doing. Cause at first it's like, okay, the kids aren't going to school. They're going to learn other ways. Boom. Right. That's yeah. where the focus is, is, is on the kids. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. as you start to focus on the kids and seeing how they learn and, and their emotions and how they're processing and you're learning about how to engage with them. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden, all these, um, questions come up for ourselves, and and we're we begin to see how many expectations or assumptions, like you called them, that we hold that may not be true. And mm-hmm. so it's so much about us questioning those things and almost just leaving them more space to mm-hmm. um, be themselves. You know, I I found Mm -hmm. I learned so much just from watching my kids and they kind of led me down that path of all the questions and things to work through just by what Mm -hmm. they were interested in, by the situations that came up with them. And uh, it was (laughs) it was amazing how much of it, it, how much of it is our work to do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and for us, because our kids never went to school initially in those early years, there wasn't a transition from 
really getting schooling for them, for getting those schooling messages and then needing need for them needing to de-school. Um, although they did choose to go to school one year, um, there was an opportunity to go to a magnet school in our town and it kind of came up all of a sudden and we asked them if they were interested. They both decided they had friends that were going and, you know, we told them to, uh, you know, we, we tell you certain things about schooling, but we also want you to have the chance to kind of see for yourself. And they actually had a very good schooling experience when they, when they went for that year. But then at the end of the year, we, we, um, had a, a process where we kind of sat down with them and we made some pro and con lists and talked about what they, what they liked and didn't like. And we let them decide afterwards if they wanted to continue going or stop, stop going. And they were in like second and fourth grade. So even though there are tests, uh, standardized tests in, in Texas in fourth grade, um, there wasn't as much pressure really, or, or too much of the, the schooling. Um, and they felt like they were, they had a good year, enjoyed a lot of, a lot of that. Um, but not having that transition period, uh, I think meant that we got to focus more on our own as parents, our own messages, our own process of, of de-schooling. Yeah, yeah. So were, was there a big shift? So two things I don't want to forget to ask. A big shift mm-hmm. uh, parenting-wise for them, because I guess that can be the other piece, not just literally whether or not they went to school, but as a, as parents, as you were talking about nonviolent communication, that kind of stuff, mm. the transition from more control to more connection and working with them rather than you know trying to control what they're doing. Was there a uh, shift for them in that area? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm thinking of <laughs> these sort of uh, almost embarrassing stories from when you're, you're first a parent and you don't know very much and you're just trying to survive a little bit. And I remember when Asher was first born and we were trying to figure out um, how to help him sleep. We didn't know anything about attachment parenting or anything. And uh, we kind of misread something about the Ferber uh, method for getting getting your kids to sleep. And I remember we basically just did this like cry it out method with him. And we, I remember us huddled in the bed listening to the baby monitor of him just crying for like 30 minutes and both just like, uh, like cringing and like, are we doing the right thing? We feel so terrible. No, no, no. This is what we have to do. We have to do it this way. This is, this is what it said, even though we had missed, we had read it completely wrong. And, you know, he turned, he ended up being able to sleep fairly quickly uh, for quite a while, of course, until teething and like all those other milestones that disrupt and cause (laughs) all your work (laughs) that you've been doing as a, as a parent. And then later on, we realized that we had completely misunderstood the Ferber method for, and, and we felt so bad and we're like, Oh man, we, we totally messed up. We totally did it wrong. And, and I remember feeling, feeling really bad about that. Um, but you know, we be- learned more and grew and kind of got over the, <laughs> the guilt a little bit of, of the mistakes that we made and, and definitely, I mean, I feel like new parents are always trying to find some control because you're sleep deprived and, um, and you have all those um, bad habits of controlling things in our lives already. And so, yeah, the other thing I think the transition for us that moved us to a, more away from control and, and forced us to have to wrestle with um, ways that we were still hanging on to some kinds of control was when we, we started doing some of the more radical lifestyle, um, elements of unschooling, um, not just keeping them out of school and living our life, but we, you know, as our kids got older and had devices where they had screens and everybody else is saying limit screen time. And, uh, you know, I, I guess my story about sleep, fits well because, you know, sleep is pretty precious. And I, I tend to be the one that's very grumpy about sleep. And so, um, 
the idea of kids being able to, to decide their own bedtime was real scary. <laughs> How's that going to work? And my sleep's going to get messed up and I'm going to be just mad. Um, and even this week, actually, uh, the other night, um, our kids aren't very good about closing doors quietly. And since right now there's no school um, where, where we're at, um, there was a lot of doors just slamming or closing way too hard. And I was getting woken up and I, so I got up and was real grumpy. I'm like, like you guys, like the whole, you get to stay up and decide your own bedtime, but it's not fair to me. I'm trying to sleep here, you know? Um, so that transition to some of those lifestyle things that especially where, um, it goes against the, the, the common sense or the, the prevailing wisdom yes. <laughs> uh, was hard because you have to let go of uh, those the control, right? Of um, what are my kids, what are my kids watching maybe? Um, and I know what they're watching because I'm interested and it's, we're, we're talking about it. It's open yeah. and, and it's not a, not a big secret, but um, yeah. So that was another transition that I felt like we, took another step towards in some ways trusting our kids, I guess, like, um, listening to them. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, another, another transition that, uh, my wife was mentioning this morning that, uh, I'm reminded is, is, was real tricky continues to be kind of tricky for us. Um, my oldest, um, Asher has, um, some issues with anxiety and he's definitely borderline Asperger's. He hasn't been officially you know, diagnosed, but he, he has a lot of the, the symptoms and, and a lot of it like clicks in place when we, when we learn more and talk about it, it really clicks. And so um, I remember uh, when we were preparing to come to Bolivia in a lot of places in Bolivia, there's no SPCA and there's a lot of dogs and dogs caused him a lot of anxiety. Um, primarily we first noticed some of these issues when he had, um, sensory issues with mm-hmm. balloons or dogs barking, fireworks, things that, of course, if you get surprised, they scare you, but you're able to kind of regulate and bring it, bring your anxiety back down. And his would just go up and he would be here and in a ball and just like, I can't take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so as like loving good parents, we tried to help him avoid things that were causing him pain and stress and, and were problems. And uh, we decided before moving to Bolivia this time that let's go to a counselor and see if we can get some help with what, what can we do to help him with some of these anxieties? Because in Bolivia, where there's not SPCA and there's not as much regulation with um, you know, spay and neutering animals. There's a lot of dogs on the street. A lot of people keep dogs as uh, alarm systems and protection for their, mm-hmm. in their homes. And so walking down the street, you can have a dog that's just walking down the street and you'd be nervous about them barking or whatever. And then you also have a lot of dogs behind fences and doors. You can't see them sometimes. And then all of a sudden they bark, you know, and we knew that was going to happen. Uh, and one of the things that we learned in going to counseling with him was that his anxiety is not helped by us helping him avoid things. And, and that was one of the things that we were like, oh, that makes sense. You, your anxiety won't get better by avoiding it because you continue to be afraid of it or have those, those anxieties. You have to work at um, exposing yourself to it and being able to um, regulate better your, your responses and reactions. And you have to kind of go through it in order to work on that. Uh, and so that was a hard thing for us, especially thinking about unschooling and allowing kids a lot of choice. You know, we still, yeah, we want them to have a lot of choices, uh, but saying, well, with this thing, you kind of need to do it even though you don't want to. <laughs> and that was, that was hard. It was kind of a, a little bit of a wrestling, like, Oh yeah, we, we yeah. want them to have choices and make, do what they want to do. But in this area, you know, they're saying for dealing with anxiety, for example, um, 
they need to work on it. And then how do you work with them when, when the kids are saying like, yeah, but I'm not, I don't want to walk by that dog. Of course not. <laughs> you know, it causes yeah. me stress. Yeah, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, in this case, I mean, he was, you guys were moving to Bolivia, right? So there were going to mm. be dogs around, et cetera. So it, it, you know, helping him that way to be moving through it, to figure out ways to move through it, because it was just going to be a fact of your environment, right? It wasn't going to yeah. be something that you could um, actively avoid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and then, yeah, yeah, I mean, and you work with it and see how it goes, right? I mean, that's, that is fundamentally that one of the great things with unschooling is that, yeah, you went and you found, got more information about it. You got some ideas, you know, you worked at it. If, you know, if that wasn't working for him, you would keep finding new ideas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. what's yeah. going to work, you know, if that was just going to be way too much for him to do that um, uh, approach, you know, to mm-hmm. uh, well, you, you had the right word. I've lost the word. But but uh, to put yourself yeah. in those situations, right, mm-hmm. um, for for moments and and to practice dealing with them, right. I mean, if yeah. he was going to be so upset and refusing to do that, you know, then then you take another step in another direction and figure and figure things out, right. But that's the yeah. great thing is that we are free to um, get all sorts of information right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. possibilities and ways to move through challenges and and then try them out and see if they're you know working for us if they're a possibility a way that we can walk you know and maybe it's a way you can walk a bit later or you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's it's working with the individuals and the people and your environment and your family's choices and bringing that all together to see what works for you right i i love yeah. that cuz that's such a great example of, mm-hmm. of, of just living together. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 The other challenge for us living in Bolivia has been, been schooling. I mentioned yeah. before that they, they go to school now. And initially we, we said we would try it mainly because they would learn language quicker and they could make friends. And, you know, we were really clear with them that um, it wasn't about grades or um, anything like that, but we, we thought it would be a, an easy way to, for them to connect with with people here and make friends um, with Spanish speakers and help their help their language. Uh, but we weren't sure initially how whether or not continuing to do homeschooling would be an option. And so that was a door that was kind of slightly ajar for a long time. And then eventually. Um, the lawyer that works with our organization said, no, this really is not an option. The government actually audits us and all this stuff. And so then we had to go to the kids and say, okay, well, I know we said they're, they're looking into it, but really this is a closed door here. And now we have to say like, it's the law and you do have to go while we're living here. Of course we could say like, well, we're, if that's the case, we're going to move somewhere else. Uh, but if we are going to live here and work here, well, we have to figure out how to how to work with it. Uh, and it's been it's been nice for me to see um, well how our kids kind of do differently in the school system and uh, here, and how uh, the messages about schooling have really seemed to have gotten through pretty well. Um, Asher, our oldest, is not very concerned at all about grades. Um, he sees his report card uh, and doesn't care, and it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm whatever, you know, I know, but, uh, it doesn't seem to bother him too much. Um, middle child is much more wanting to fit in and belong and make friends. And so she's a little more worried about the grades. And we keep reiterating to her, like reminding her, especially you are doing something that's another level from what other people would be doing in school anyways, where you're doing it in a second language. And here there's not really, they do have a Spanish tutor, but the schools don't have help with uh, people who don't speak Spanish as a first language. And so yeah, yeah. imagine being in, in, you know, North American school systems with zero help uh, on language and it's just sink or swim. Like I keep telling them, like, I can't believe you guys are doing any of it. Like that's crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. that's a really, really hard. So 
you know, give yourself a break. And then the youngest is kind of mostly in her own world. And so she, <laughs> I always kind of celebrate with her when she's doing her own thing in class sometimes. And the, the other kids are real worried about it. They're like, you know, cause it's the big deal. And uh, so they're like telling me Dorothy's not doing what she's supposed to do in class. And I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. Well, thanks for letting me know. And, and then she shows us some of what she's doing. And the funny thing is, you know, she, loves watching YouTube and she watches everything from these um, gotcha life is one thing that she's really into. Um, So she watches all those videos, but somehow she found uh, a channel that's about numbers and video and uh, letters. And she's just been watching those a ton. And I was like, Oh, interesting. So she kind of, sometimes she doesn't do school at school, even though she's also learning Spanish and doing a lot of other things. And then she comes home and is like interested in watching videos about numbers and letters. Like <laughs> nobody asks her to do that. <laughs> no, so that's funny. brilliant. Cause it does, it keeps, it helps so much for you guys as parents to keep the view bigger picture, right? Life versus in school. And because you know learning happens all the time anywhere, right? So it must be super fun for you to, because you can see those moments, right? You can see Mm -hmm. where she's picking up this kind of stuff here. And I'm sure she's picking up stuff, learning things at school, just you know, not what it is maybe that they're teaching at the moment, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's super cool to look from that that bigger picture piece. So I guess, I mean, they were all excited to to move there. Is this kind of a family decision, how you guys decide where you're going to be going when you're traveling? Yeah, yeah, it was a decision altogether. The first time when we moved to Bolivia, of course, they were too young. Yeah. And so... We did just drag them along, (laughs) but uh, no, they were older. And so we had some conversations and that we were thinking about it. We were applying, we were interested and along the way had conversations and they were all very excited about the idea. Um, Of course, you know, you never know what all it's going to be in store when you do something like that, but um, they thought it was a cool, yeah, an adventure. And our term here is for three years. And so they also know, knew that we would be moving back after three years. And that, I think that helped have a little bit of a time frame for them, um, getting to kind of go on an adventure for, for three years. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, they continue to be part of that conversation with, especially with schooling has been a process. Um, yeah, they weren't all very excited about it. Uh, uh, and it's been a process getting through, okay, well, if, if school is something we have to do while we're here, mm-hmm. how can we work on making the best of it and, and getting through it? And they've all kind of worked to figure out how to make it work for them. And um, so that's been, yeah, it's been good. It's been a, a bit of a hard transition the first year, especially as mm-hmm. everybody kind of gets adjusted. But But yeah, no, it sounds like, you know, you were talking about each of them and, you know, it sounds Mm -hmm. like they're, they are kind of finding their niche and, and it is again, just a great opportunity for conversations, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. and they're different conversations with each child, right? That's, that's Mm -hmm. the other awesome piece about being, it being individuals, you know, with your, with your son, he's, he's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm there, I'm doing my things, you know he he is not um feeling i guess so much of the um judgment or or framework of of the mm-hmm, school mm-hmm. Or, or feeling the need to satisfy it you know and then more conversations mm-hmm. with your daughter right about okay you know that is the framework mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for you know bigger picture it, it, it you know you're still you it's not about how they define you and and you are you have the choice to meet you know, the things that they're looking for. It's not an mm-hmm. expectation. It doesn't define you what, what yeah. your choice is, right? And then Dorothy's just being Dorothy, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what is the best thing about your uh, Bolivia days now, right now? What are you guys most enjoying about it? Yeah, well, when when there's not kind of a national strike going on, like there is now after an election, we're a little bit stuck at home. Um, 
I, I've really enjoyed being able to take vacations uh, deliberately sometimes when there's school <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah. say like, hey, we, you know, we're okay with it and don't mind. And as long as the school isn't giving us a hard time about it, um, we're, we're okay taking vacations when other kids have to be in school. Um, and so that's fun getting to visit different parts of the country. We've done some vacations um, near the, in the Amazon, there's a, a town called Via Tunari that is right at the, where you go one way and you're in the Andes mountains and the other way and you're kind of in jungle. And so that, that kind of stuff is really fun to see and visit different places. Um, I also, I had a note on one other thing that I really enjoy, I'm enjoying right now that I'm forgetting. Oh, yes, yes. And I was going to mention this, that um, because the kids are going to school, I have, sometimes I have to help them because their textbooks are, even Asher, who's, who's in eighth grade in his school, um, my Spanish is pretty good, but eighth grade textbook Spanish is still pretty hard, oh. you know, when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. And so for for like his class when they're learning about history or in, in Lydia's case for, yeah, social studies and um, language, I needed to help them with translating and reading their textbooks somewhat. And that has been super fascinating. So I remember one time helping Lydia and it was explaining how the Bolivian constitution is set up. So there are certain rights in Bolivia for indigenous people to have representation in the government. And so it's very different. So each group, each indigenous tribe is allowed one representative uh, without any election. They get to appoint somebody to be uh, a representative. They can also run in an election uh, to be elected as a representative, uh, but they're not that one representative. And so that way they're, they're trying to find a balance in representation for all the groups, but also representatives that represent all the people. And I remember reading that and translating it for her and thinking, Oh my gosh, she would never be learning this anywhere else. This is so cool. You know, um, all the geography is about South American geography, the, Mm -hmm. the provinces in Bolivia and the different, cultures within Bolivia and the different um, regions, all of that kind of stuff, um, history, and um, even the stories um, that you read in like uh, a language arts kind of class are about legends from the Incas or the Guaranis or the different groups um, that in Bolivia, everybody hears growing up about certain characters in Incan uh, tradition, Incan folklore. So um that kind of stuff has been really cool, even though it's it's not about uh, them like needing to know it to get a grade, but just reading it and then being like, wow, you would never learn this if we were, even in the States, if, if we were unschooling, you might not have had been exposed to that, you know? And so it's an aspect of world schooling that I really love, just them getting to see these perspectives uh, just by being in a different place place, you know, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really, unless somehow you really got into Latin America, maybe, I don't know, it's possible, but it's less likely, right? If you're, but when you're in a place and surrounded by uh, a culture, you get exposed to lots of different things. And that I just, I really, really enjoy and, and love that they get to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, that is something that um, I've, I see with, families who like to travel, right? They mm-hmm. they really enjoy that aspect of learning more about the culture and the history of the places that they're in. So, you know, mm-hmm. to me that that is, is you know, cuz families, different families have different like interests and ways to connect. Like I'm just imagining you guys over the textbook figuring out what it says and and having <laughs> a really fun connecting conversation around it all, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it is about what different families enjoy doing and those are kind the the family conversations that come up, right? Mm-hmm. Something that 
that the different people in the family enjoy. You know, it's what inspired you guys to even start talking about going there, right? I imagine part mm-hmm. of that is the adventure and excitement of checking out a new place for an extended mm-hmm. period of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely would say that mixing schooling and unschooling is very difficult. That's probably been the experience of a lot of, a lot of people. Um, so I'm just thinking as you were talking about reading these textbooks together there, it's a mix, right? Like there's a mixture of this feeling of, of like, ah, I don't want to deal with the school being mad at me about their grades or something. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of rebelliousness and and unschooling principles that I try to come back to, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to be, in that environment and not feel the pressure and the, the influence sometimes. And we've had to, you know, it, I, I want to be honest about that, like mm-hmm. journey and what that's like, because we come back to our unschooling principles, but usually it's because we've been pulled in a certain direction and feeling like, ah, oh, how do we make this work? You know, and needing to make it work sometimes feels like, well, just going with it, you know, And so needing to come back to our principles and saying like, no, remember, we don't, we don't agree with that or we don't believe in that. And so how can we do this in a way that honors that and continues to go in that direction, even though we're in a situation where schooling is, is required. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a choice you have in this particular environment right now, but yeah. And it goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning, right? How much of this lifestyle is our work, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. you said, Mm -hmm. you're noticing when you're getting pulled and yes, definitely. It's, it's easy. I mean, and it doesn't go away. Even if it's not school, it's conventional expectations when, you know, on teenagers, it's conventional Mm -hmm. expectations when you hit 18 and young adults. And, you know, as parents, we're always um, pulled by those things. We're always reminding ourselves who we want to be as parents, right? And reminding Mm -hmm. ourselves about the principles that we want to live by and figuring out how to navigate <laughs> those, right? So yeah, right mm-hmm. now the school pieces is, is is what is mixed in with your lives, right? So yeah, yeah reminding yeah. yourselves about, you know, it's not great. And then questioning yourselves. I love that that point you made about, you know, how, how much do we need to satisfy the school so that mm-hmm. they're not upset with us? And then it's the questions, yeah. well, what would happen if they're upset with us? Is that a, is that a horrible thing? Will the world end? What, what will happen? Is that something we really need to be, you know, all those questions mm-hmm. to, work, to work through that. Yeah, no. So thank you very much for bringing that up. And, and it's a bigger picture thing. Like even when you guys are no longer there, there are going to be other things that, that come up mm-hmm. about those conventional yeah. kinds of questions, you know, and that's, that's that's life that's that's living an engaged life i think you know where versus mm. just doing mm-hmm. what's expected because there's expectations at all ages right mm-hmm. and yep. you know you can yeah. just kind of feel like i just want to go with the flow and do whatever i'm supposed to do or you know mm-hmm. i'm going to figure out what it is for me the person i want to be the parent i want to be what this means for me what choices are we going to make within the context of, of mm-hmm. your lives and, mm-hmm. and the bigger picture choices that you're making? So, yeah, it's all, I was going it, to, it's not easy. It's never mm-hmm. easy, right? Right, right. Which, which leads, so, leads so beautifully into the next question because I wanted to talk about your podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not easy, you know, as People, I, I wonder, you know, listening in the audience, you know, as you said, I don't want it to make life seem easy or anything. And it's mm. the same with all our guests. You know, we've thought through these things. We've come come across these challenges and and we continue to, right? So it's, it's we talk about how we work through them, the benefits that we, we see with them, uh, you know, with our children, our, our life together. Um, mm-hmm. that's, what's so fascinating why, you know, I had 200 episodes now because these conversations yeah. are fascinating for me. Right. Yeah. 
So yes, you recently started a podcast that's called We Don't Talk About That with Lucas Land. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to hear the story behind that. Yeah. Well, I, I used to write a blog, um, a couple different blogs, but the, la- the latest one was called uh, What Would Jesus Eat? And it was during seminary, I was uh, kind of processing a lot of things I was thinking about in terms of food and agriculture, sustainability, along with theology and, and reading the Bible. And so I was kind of blogging about that. Um, and so when we lived here in Bolivia before, I wrote a lot. I did a lot of writing and kind of processing that way. And so I kind of thought I would pick that back up um, being back in Bolivia. Um, and I had read a book that I was really thinking a lot about and trying to figure how do I process this and wasn't motivated to write really. And so somehow I'm not remembering how the idea came up. Somebody mentioned like, what if you did a podcast and Oh, podcast, I could do a podcast. I'm haven't really thought about that. I've not, (laughs) I'm not like a audio engineer or anything. This is kind of new to me. And so I spent a long time kind of thinking, well, what would it be about? How would I, uh, and there was a good friend of mine who, Um, when I was kind of throwing out this idea online said that she really appreciated how I'm able sometimes in conversations online, she's seen and, and offline too, but uh, a lot of times online having conversations that are really difficult and heated and sort of these like Facebook, uh, arguments about whatever topic of the day. Right. And, um, where you don't agree, but you find ways, you know, and that comes back to nonviolent communication and, and that whole learning process of how do you listen to people well and how do you have conversations that um, can honor what's going on with people, even when maybe they're communicating very poorly and find ways to not necessarily agree on everything, but have better conversations. And so then that started to sort of form into this idea of a podcast where we talked about those things. We had hard conversations. Um, I did an episode with a filmmaker who made a a film about abortion in Argentina. And that's still one of the ones I feel most nervous about because that's such a heated topic. And and I feel like um, it was sort of one side of the conversation and I didn't have more of the other side. And, um, you know, uh, so there are things that make it nervous, but make me nervous about it. But also um, I've had a lot of conversations with people uh, about um, tips or ideas or methods, different things that help us have better conversations. Um, so that part uh, I think is hopefully helpful to people um, thinking about how, how do we try to have uh, good conversations And then I've also had a number of episodes talking to people um, that I know that are different. Um, I have a a good friend in Oaxaca that I recently had an episode with, um, a friend in Kenya that works with the same organization that we work with. uh, And then one of my good friends from college who uh, is Cherokee, Lutheran, and Two-Spirit. So we talked to him about what that means and So also learning about different people and understanding, uh, hearing their stories and talking to them about what makes them different. So, um, yeah, I kind of got excited about the idea and started making lists of all the cool people I know that I wanted to talk to. And of course, you made the list. I wanted to talk about unschooling and I thought this would be great if Pam will talk to me. And so I had you on the podcast and that episode's not out yet, but um, I'm excited for, for people to hear that. That was super fun. It was fun. Again, talking about the, the things that are difficult when it comes to choices we make about parenting or schooling that are different. And I felt like a lot of interesting things came up as we were kind of exploring that yeah. together. So, yeah, so it's been super fun. And I'm, 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 wrapping up 21 episodes and scheduling them to release and, and planning on maybe taking a little bit of a break uh, while I have some time and then um, scheduling some more, more interviews and keep going. Cause it's been, like you said, you know, you've done 200 plus episodes now and um, every episode, I feel like I, I find something new that I um, 
have learned or something that I didn't think about that way before, even if it's something that I feel like I do know something about. Um, and another thing that comes up over and over and over again is um, curiosity. Yeah. That um, this cultivating curiosity is a huge part of being able to have hard conversations with people. And that just connects perfectly with unschooling. And that's what we're, we're doing is cultivating that in ourselves and in our kids, you know? Yeah, yeah no, I love that. And uh, yeah, I had a really fun conversation with you. I, that is something, well, yeah, I have conversations on the podcast. I love connecting with people where they are and mm -hmm. learning more about how they're seeing it is that curiosity piece i love seeing how they're engaging in their life making choices in their life you know it's it's fascinating stuff so yeah i love the i love the topic and i will share the link uh for your podcast in the show notes for people Great. to check out if they're interested um so one last question um, what piece of advice would you like to share with dads who are considering or just starting out on this unschooling journey? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, of unlearning uh, that dads have to do. We get a lot of messages about how we're supposed to be as parents. And so uh, I think with unschooling, there's a lot of um, care and nurturing and connecting. And that's not always the message that dads have gotten growing up about what, what being a good dad is like, um, you know, whether that's just from culture or from, from our families of origin. And so focusing on yourself and as we said before, like the, doing the work on developing yourself as a better person and a better parent, that has so many um, helpful ramifications for for parenting uh and so i really yeah i recommend like uh doing some of that work kind of unpacking what did you learn about what it means to be a dad what it means to be uh a male in in your culture and then what can you yeah how how can you learn and, and grow in ways that cultivate curiosity and nurture and connect with your kids more um, i think that's that's really hard and I think the other thing that can be really difficult is learning to trust our kids. Um, uh, we, we sort of live in a culture where experts are sort of on pedestals and, you know, being experts about things. And, and we kind of treat our kids that way too. You know, I'm, I'm the expert on life because I've been alive longer than you. Uh, and usually our kids have a lot to teach us uh, about, about things that, when we kind of take that position as an expert and, and not as a learner. Um, and I still do it. I still do it all the time because I have a 13 year old who really likes to argue with me. <laughs> and there's sometimes where I'm pretty sure he's wrong. You know, like I do know something, right. I, I, I know things too, and it's okay for me to know things, but um, being open to listening and taking a posture that's less as an expert and more, like, oh, I heard it differently. And well, let's look it up. Let's Google it. Let's see. And then, and I don't, this is still a little bit hard for me to say, but not, not gloat that I was right, you know, because I, I really love being right. It feels good <laughs> to be right. But being able to say like, like, oh, okay, cool. Or finding something that I learned that was different than what I thought maybe. And, and then still saying, oh, okay. So, I, I mean, I was right about this aspect. I was like, <laughs> thing. Uh, still got to get it in there. But, you know, oh, I learned this other thing too. You know? But that, so. you know what? That's one nice thing too about um, the kinds of relationships that we have with our kids. Like, mm -hmm. they're, they're okay when we're right too, you know, for the yeah. most part, because it's like, it's not a competition. We're not, mm -hmm. you know, keeping track of how many times you were right. And I was right. And bringing that power into the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. Oh man. Yeah. You were right. You know, it's mm -hmm. not a big deal one way or the yeah. other. It's something you yeah. can laugh about. It's something that, you know, depending on the moment, nobody may even mention in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. again it's about the individuals and it's about feeling out how the conversation's going right mm -hmm. and yeah. and are you going to be you know um putting a block in the way with 
with the next thing that you say? Or are you going to be keeping it open, keeping it engaged, keeping it curious? Because that's the other thing. It's so interesting to find out how they came to that fact or that Mm -hmm. piece of information Mm -hmm. or that perspective. Because so often, that's one of the things we learn as parents, right? That so much less um, of what we think is right or wrong. Like Mm -hmm. facts, Yes. I mean, but then again, sometimes there's, there's perspectives. Context probably is the best, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, way, way to put that too. So Mm -hmm. it's not just about that one little piece of information. It's about the web. How does that piece of information sit? You know, where Mm -hmm. did you pick that up? How might that have got, you know, it's just all, it's all really fascinating, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, one one area I remember that my kids and I think about the idea that they they like to challenge and they like to sort of push things and it's not always about whether or not they're actually right or wrong. Sometimes it's just about asserting themselves as having opinions or having ideas. Uh, and I know for a long time my kids were really into the two oldest especially were really into conspiracy theory videos on on YouTube. And uh, they would talk about flat earth and some of these things. And I, it, it really kind of like, I would get worried and like, oh my gosh, like I need to, and I do think media literacy is, is uh, important, right? We should be trying to, well, how do you know whether or not that's true? How do you know uh, it's possible conspiracies exist, but how would you know whether or not to trust that that was real, you know? And part of me wants to just say like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. You can't, you know? Uh, And I remember um, Lydia coming to me uh, and, and wanting to argue with me about that, that it was that the earth was flat and very earnestly and seriously. And I I had a hard time knowing whether or not she was serious, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it turned, it turned out she wasn't actually serious. She just in, really enjoyed trying it out and making those arguments. And what would I say? How would I respond? You know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so then, and then she was kind of laughing about it and being like, yeah, I know dad. I don't really think that that's true. <laughs> and it almost kind of put me at ease a little bit. But it, again, it's this thing of like trusting them. Like I don't have to, I don't have to assert that they have to believe me because I'm the authority or mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm the expert. Um, I can trust that if I have a conversation with them, I can throw out ideas or ask good questions and they can learn how to figure some of those things out for themselves. And it doesn't have to be because I said so, or because, you know, I know more than you or something along those lines. Yeah. You can trust them to, to figure it out together, you know? Yeah, no, that's a great example. <laughs> because so, so often, right, you don't, it's keeping that conversation open and going and being curious so that, because eventually chances are you'll find out what it was, what their motivation is, right, right behind mm-hmm. it. Because so often what we see on the surface at first really isn't it, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it wasn't about flat earth. Right. It was really about, you know, engaging in that conversation. Can I convince, you know, how, how would I do in uh, a conversation like that? Right. And Mm. you were the willing participant for (laughs) at least somewhat willing. It was (laughs) somewhat willing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe with your eyes. What do I do? Oh boy. Here we go. (laughs) Yep. But yeah, exactly. so often, like like you said earlier too, right? We learn so much from our kids and they are so much more capable than, you know, um, conventional ideas tell us at first, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and yep. building that trust, um, you know, that, that they're exploring this world and having those conversations about media literacy, you know, all the, you know, information, I mean, just all those conversations and they don't have to, Things don't have to be solved in that moment, right? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. figured out in that moment. It's an ongoing process of building those skills, building that understanding, knowledge, all that kind of stuff builds up over the years. And it's not even school years anymore, right? Because 
you and I, we're still mm-hmm. learning all the time, aren't we? Right. So this is kind of a life. Yeah. So that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lucas. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was super fun. And uh, I'm excited. Uh, I know that my wife is really excited to listen to my episode when it comes out. Oh, she yay. would she would never want to be on the podcast herself, but she's really excited that I got to talk to you. <laughs> oh, that's often Hi. <laughs> and before we go, uh, where can people connect with you online? I'll share your podcast website. Is there any other way? Is that the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, the podcast is at wdtatpodcast.com and then all the social links and stuff are on there and that's probably the best way to to find me and connect with me. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lucas. Have a great day. Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the wonderful archive of earlier podcast episodes. The conversations never go out of date. And you can find more information about my books, my Patreon community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit at my website, livingjoyfully.ca. Have a great day.